Welcome to the Simple Programmer Podcast. Making complex programming simple and fast. With everything from career advice to philosophy, John Summers will show you everything you need. It's the Simple Programmer Podcast. Welcome to the Simple Programmer Podcast. A short mix of career advice, philosophy, and soft skills from successful author and software developer, John Sonmez. Hey everyone, Uh, welcome back to another episode of uh, Simple Programmer Podcast, Simple Programmer YouTube channel, whichever way that you're consuming this content. Um, I've got another interview for you today, and uh, today I've got uh, actually a friend of mine uh, that you may know him from the Entreprogrammers podcast and from uh, uh, Marionette JS, if you've used that, and uh, and and he's also been on Get Up and Code and and uh, done a, done a lot of stuff. You might even be a subscriber of his uh, Watch Me Code uh, service. But uh, but today uh, I've got Derek Bailey on, and Derek is going to be talking about uh, messaging. I thought this is something that. I think most software developers don't really understand that well and don't understand when or, or to use it and, and what exactly it is. So uh, Derek's really kind of the expert on this topic. So I thought it'd be cool to uh, to interview him and dissect his brain a bit on on this topic. So, uh, so welcome, Derek. Thanks, John. It's great to be here and happy to share any knowledge I can about messaging. It's, it's one of those things that I think a lot of people do use without really knowing that they're using it. And I think there's there's a lot of value in really making these ideas an explicit part of what you do in, in your code and in your architecture instead of just allowing it to be there implicitly with some of the things that we use already. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, um, before we jump right into it, let's... Um... Uh, why don't you just give a quick intro, like your background and uh, who you are, just so everyone... Sure. Uh, so like you said, uh, I am an entre- um, entrepreneur and part of the Entreprogrammers podcast. Um, I'm a, a software developer by trade, and I've been doing software development since the the uh, professionally since the late mid to late 90s, but writing code since the late 80s, really. So quite a number of years under my belt in in terms of actually writing code. And then in in the last few years, I have gone independent and have become an entrepreneur of sorts with Watch Me Code and a few other products and services that I have done and phased out over the last few years. And in the process of doing all of this, um, I've I've worked a lot with these messaging patterns and, and have blogged a lot about these patterns over the years at my old blog at, at lostechies.com slash Derek Bailey. Uh, and then at my current blog as well at DerekBailey.com, where you can find links to pretty much everything I do, including all of my screencasts at Watch Me Code, um, all of my products and services that I have, podcast episodes that I've been on, and blog posts and my mailing list and everything else. Awesome. Cool. So, um, so let's, let's jump right into the, the well, asking about messaging, because I think a lot, of, there's a lot of confusion about messaging. I think, right. um, you know, I think of that enterprise integration patterns, or right, right. the, uh, you know, that, that, and, and then it's like, and, and everyone was like, uh, you know, that's read that book. They're like, uh, biz, biz talk. That's, is that yeah. tells me how to use biz talk. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> 
for those not not watching the video, I'm I'm holding up a copy of that book right here. This this is a a giant tome of a yeah. book. It's like ridiculously large. Six hundred. Um, let's see, seven hundred. How many pages is that? Like, yeah, six hundred and eighty some odd pages of of material in there. And frankly, this this is the book on messaging. Anybody that's that's done any serious work in messaging should have a copy of that book sitting on their desk. It's it's well worth it. I actually own two copies of it, one print and one ebook version of it because I reference it that often. I need to be able to look at it physically and in electronically sometimes. So the yep. getting back to what messaging is, um, there's there's a lot of ways to describe messaging and probably the easiest way was was something that I learned from Jimmy Bogard in, in an interview that I did with him where he described messaging as going to McDonald's and placing your order and having your order handed to you. When you stand okay. there in front of the register at McDonald's, you are relaying a message to the person behind the register. You know, I want a Big Mac, a Coke, and fries. You want fries with that? Yes, I just said fries. You want to supersize that? Sure, why not? Okay, so they ring that up in the register. Well, that register sends various messages throughout the rest of their system, the system that is McDonald's. It sends a message over to the fry station, over to the drink station, over to the burger station, to all these different places that, that need to be informed of your order so that your order can be completed. But when you do that, you don't sit there and expect the person at the register to stop what they're doing and go put the fries in the fryer, go put the meat patties on the grill, go get cups out of the, the cup package and start filling a drink. You don't expect one person to do everything. There are different people in the restaurant that fulfill these different functions. And the restaurant has sent messages via electronic purposes, electronic means, to the different stations to tell the individual workers what work they need to do. And once all of these things are done, once the fries are ready, once the burger is ready, once the drink is ready, there is probably another person still that is looking at a physical printout of your order on a ticket. They're probably going to tape it to your tray, and they're going to use that as the master reference for knowing when your order is complete. And so they'll go get the French fries that you need. They'll get the burger that you ordered. They'll get the drink that you wanted. They'll put it on this tray and they'll hand it to you because your order is now complete. That right there is a real world example of what messaging in software is. It is using that drink ticket or that French fry ticket or whatever ticket it is at the different stations to cause some action to take place, to have some work be done in order to fulfill some other purpose. Okay, and so now some now with that example, I guess I guess with with any, uh, some of it is uh, sequential, and some of it would be uh, right. happening at the same time, right? The, the, yeah. Um, and so, um, and so I guess probably the same thing in software, right? Is like some things like I think a lot of times we think of everything as serially. Mm -hmm. Or, or we think of it as uh, as happening in parallel, but 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 the reality is that some parts, uh, some things, some process, like we can break things apart and make some of it sequential and some of it in right. parallel. 
Right, right. Yeah. So in, in that restaurant example, again, the, the person that makes your burger and wraps it up doesn't walk out to the front and put it on the tray for you. They put it into a little chute and it slides down to the front. So the person that is assembling your order can put it on the tray for you. So the, these are things that happen in, in, in series and sequentially, chronologically, so that they have to happen in order. The, the order has to be placed, and then the message is sent to create the burger. The, the burger is created, and then the burger slides down that little chute. Well, sliding down that little chute out toward the front actually is a message in and of itself. It's a visual message in this case. It's not a printout or a ticket, but it is a message. It is an indication that the burger is ready. So there's another message there, a response, essentially, for the next person to take that burger and put it on your tray. So there, there are a lot of things that can and do happen in a, in a very serial manner, or not serial, but a very sequential manner inside of messaging processes, while the larger system as a whole is operating very much in parallel. Okay, so now, so so with that, I guess, like, to, to, to kind of bring it to more of the concrete, like, code example, Suppose mm -hmm. I'm working in a in a, in a system, uh, you know, in, in a, a fairly large code base or I don't know, whatever code base, um, and I, how do I know when I need to bring messaging in or when it should be? I mean, obviously there's, you know, from your description, there's messaging happening already right. in anything, but when do you formally create the channels, use a bus, use the type of, you know, the type of things, patterns that you'd read about in the enterprise application integration patterns book? So there, there's a number of indicators for that. Um, well, first of all, if you've ever built a web page that makes an AJAX request, you're already doing messaging. That, that AJAX request from the browser back to the server, that's a message. That's a request response pattern right there. It's right. just a really implicit form of that request response pattern, whereas the, the book, Enterprise Integration Patterns, talks about formalizing that and the various pieces that you need in order for that to, to be formalized and, and really be implemented outside of a piece of technology that, that, that has it built in, someplace where it's not implicitly built in. So the, one of the easiest places to look for, for, for where you want to put messaging in place initially are those chunks of code where, okay, there's this long running process and it happens when a user makes a request to the web server and the user is sitting there waiting for a response. There's this spinner right. or there's this blank white page or whatever it is. And the user is waiting for the server to complete some work and then send a response back to, to the user. That's a pretty good indication that you have a place for a, a message to be involved, not only in, in the browser requesting to the server, but on the back end as well, the server can offload that process, that long running thing, whatever it is, into some background process so that the user can have an immediate response that really just says, your request was sent, we'll notify you when it's done. Right. And the easiest place to, to start with that is usually email. A lot of websites and a lot of web applications have a contact form, for example where you fill out a form, you type in your question or your comment or whatever, and you hit submit, and that sends a message to the web server. And then the web server is going to format who, your name and your comment and a bunch of other information into an email. And then it's gonna contact an SMTP server somewhere, 
And right. it's going to hope that that server is available. And if not, it's going to handle for the error condition of that server being down. And most likely, it's going to blow up in the user's face and say, sorry, we can't send your email. Well, why not? Well, OK, why not? Because you have inline code in your re request handler that is making the direct connection to the SMTP server instead of allowing that to happen in the background. So if you inserted a message queue in place, you could have that email message. You could have it formatted. You could have all the information gathered up. But instead of making the direct connection to the SMTP server from your web server, from the web request handler, send a message across RabbitMQ and okay. let some other code on the other side of RabbitMQ, RabbitMQ do the real work. And you get a lot of advantages there because now, it doesn't matter if the SMTP server is down. It can be down for a few seconds, a few minutes, a few days, and it really doesn't matter. You've got that message sitting in RabbitMQ that says, this work needs to be done. And if the SMTP server is down, well, the message gets put back into RabbitMQ and it waits. And it gets processed again, and well, the server's still down. Okay, go back into RabbitMQ and wait. Okay, it's being processed again until finally, the message is actually processed appropriately because the SMTP server is available and the email can actually be sent. You know, th this may take a matter of seconds, but it may take a matter of minutes if you have flaky network connectivity or if the server's down or whatever, but the user doesn't care. The user doesn't need to know that your SMTP server is down. All they want to know is that, hey, I submitted this request for contact and it was submitted. Okay, great. At some point, an email will be sent or some other mechanism of actually communicating this message to whoever will happen. And I don't need to worry about it anymore because the website told me that it was submitted and we're good to go. Okay, okay. So that, yeah, that when you, when you describe it that way, it reminds me of, or I think of like when I, when I call up like tech support and you know in or, or any kind of customer support and i i put in my request and they're like oh okay yeah yeah we'll we'll issue you, you that refund uh yeah. just just hold on the line while i do that and then i always say um can you just do it like do you need me on the line right <laughs> and they're like no no just hold while i i'll give you a confirmation number when i'm done and i'm like why not just asynchronously do this like let me just hang up and you do yeah. it and then you can send me an email or call me if there's a problem exactly like you've got my contact information because i'm a customer i just want right. a refund here just tell me when it's done I'm, i got more important things to do Okay, and then I can think of like I I'm trying to think of like I I, I guess Mailchimp when when I uh, I remember um, when I ever tried to download a list of users, mm -hmm. um, I was shocked to see that like I'm expecting to click download and get the list of users, but then right. they're like, oh, we'll send you an email, and then I look at my email and you know the email, so they're like asynchronously. I'm I'm putting in there, which makes sense because I don't need right. to wait because it could take them like you know 15 minutes to download a list oh, of yeah. users, right? But instead, they're like, okay, we'll just call you when we're done. You know? Yeah. yeah. Imagine this. Imagine going out to GitHub and clicking on the button for a new repository. And then right. when you click the OK button to actually create it, their web server itself is just chugging and chugging and chugging <laughs> away with yeah. millions of requests a minute in order to do all of these things in Git. There's, right. there's no way that they're doing that. Not a chance. I, I know with certainty that they're not doing that. When you click that button to create a repository on GitHub, they're using a, a library called Rescue, which sits on top of Redis as their message queuing server. 
and they send a message over to over three rescue and and have some code on the back end that reads that message and creates the actual repository and then right. tells the system that the repository has been created so when you hit the refresh button on your browser if if github is having a slow day for some reason because they're overwhelmed or they have servers going down or whatever well you can guarantee you can be guaranteed that the repository will be created but you don't know when the repository will be created. You could hit refresh over and over and over again and see that wonderful little fax machine sliding back and forth, making a photocopy the way that they show when a repository is being cloned or whatever it is. And, and that message will show up over and over again until the backend system finally right. says, hey, I'm done. This repository is now there. And then the front end system will say, okay, great. Now we can actually load the real data to show to the user. That makes sense. I guess also too that with the advantage of it that is is that they don't have to like if you refresh your page over and over again, you're not gonna like right. start the same process over because you're just sending the message and they can detect the duplicate message and exactly. it or, or the first one, maybe it sends fifty messages, but only the first one that uh, that actually succeeds you know the arrest get ignored once one succeeded like there's a lot of more options I think than exactly than what you have if you just if you don't have messaging if you're just connected to the to the process yeah it, and and what you just described there is an incredibly important concept the idea of processing a message once and only once. I think the term for that is idempotence. And mm -hmm. the, the, the general gist of that is that really you just process a message once. Processing the same thing multiple times will not alter anything in the system. It'll be the exact same thing as it was previously because it's idempotent. It's not going to modify the system more than once. Yeah, and there's like a JavaScript library you can use that will uh, it's called Viagra that will help you with the. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, um, real quick, uh, we'll get more into this, uh, but I just wanted to, you mentioned RabbitMQ, and I just wanted uh, uh, just for someone who wasn't familiar with it, because uh, with your description of, of, of the messaging. Uh, maybe if you can just give a quick uh, description. We'll get into Robert MQ more when we talk about some of the stuff that you're doing. But sure. So, as my phone is ringing in the background, um, Robert MQ is a message broker and message queuing system. And, and what that really means is there's well, let, let me let me give you a little bit of background. There's there's two ways of doing messaging. There's you know, kind of peer-to-peer -peer where one system knows about the other system and just talks to it directly. Perfectly legitimate. A lot of messaging systems are built that way. You know, sending an AJAX request, that's that's what you do. The AJAX request knows the web server to contact, so it just contacts it. Right. But there's, there's also this man-in-the-middle configuration, which is a message broker. And a message broker allows you to have the front end and the back end or multiple pieces of your system, however you have your system configured, you can completely separate these things so that they don't even know anything about the other systems that are involved. They don't even know if other systems are involved. Right. All they know about is the message broker in the middle. So with RabbitMQ, you get that message broker out of the box. You can publish a message to an exchange in RabbitMQ, and RabbitMQ's exchanges will do some pretty cool routing in order to make sure the message goes to the right place, the right queue, 
And then at some other time, maybe it's, you know, a second from now, maybe it's almost instantaneous, but at some point in time, code on the other end of, of that queue will pick up the message and do the actual work. Oh, okay, so so you're saying that, um, so that basically uh, RabbitMQ is, is a message broker. Right. As opposed to like, so with RabbitMQ, you don't need to know, the the systems involved don't need to know about each other. Sort of like the McDonald's example that, that you said, like it's like, you know, the, the person taking the order doesn't need to know, hey, Bob, make a burger. Yeah. He just it just goes into the system and it doesn't matter if it's Bob or Jane or Carol, they just, you know, pick up the ticket and, and they make a burger. Exactly. And sometimes the person that, that takes the order it has to go into the back and make the burger, but, but it really doesn't matter. I mean, it, it may, that may be the case because the only other person that's working at the moment happens to be busy doing something else, you know, handling another customer or, or whatever the case is. So there's, it, it provides a lot of flexibility and a lot of options and in, in including the ability to just not know or not care how the work actually gets done. You right. just know that it's going to get done because it went across the queue. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, um, so if someone is looking at, you know, their arc, how do they know when they need to go to, it sounds like, I mean, cause, cause we, correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty much every application is going to have messaging, like any, any complex yeah. application where, uh, but, uh, but really when we're talking about messaging, I guess most of the time we're really talking about message broker type of systems right. uh, where that's when we actually kind of formally implement messaging even if we do it in our own code right mm -hmm. so so what um what 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 stage do you pull pull in the big guns <laughs> so, so to speak um anytime you have work that needs to coordinate different pieces of your application and this applies across the board not just to back-end systems we, we can talk about this in web development in in ember js backbone js Angular, whatever. If if you're dealing with multiple pieces of a screen, you know you have a menu on one side, and you have the main content, and then you have a header with navigation at the top, and you need to have all of these pieces of the application coordinate between each other, but you don't want them to talk directly to each other because that would create a very tightly coupled system. We can use messaging right there in your browser, not communicating back and forth with the server, but just talking between the pieces that are already on the screen running in JavaScript. There, there's a library called PostalJS, which is a phenomenal messaging library for in-memory messaging. It is a message broker. If you're oh, yeah. doing Backbone.js and, and using Marionette.js, uh, well, Marionette has these patterns baked into it as well. There's the Marionette Wrecker library, and then more generally, the Backbone Radio library is, again, a message broker that allows you to have that decoupled man in the middle to facilitate communication between all of these different places on the screen and in the application. I see. Okay. Okay. So whenever you implement messaging, then you're definitely, I mean, you're going to, to a, it's a decoupling type of thing when you enter right. a message right. broker. Um, so you're you're going to decouple your your application. I, I didn't realize so much. Like I think I think a lot of people are familiar with maybe like in service bus, the mass mm -hmm. transit, and kind of the bigger like uh, the huge architectural things on the back end. Yeah, those are those are definitely popular and worth looking at if you're doing .NET and service bus and mass transit are great service bus implementations for the back end code. 
but it, it applies across the board to the Windows applications, web applications, in JavaScript, mobile devices, you yeah. know, whatever the case may be. Okay, so anywhere where you might want to decouple things right. and have different components that don't need to know about each other. Yeah, so. and, and actually Android phones are a great example of that. I've got an Android oh, yeah. phone here. And if, if you've ever done any Android development, which I'm pretty sure you have, John, you, you've probably dealt with the idea of an intent. Exactly. The intent exactly. to do something. Well, that intent is just another name for a messaging pattern, which is essentially a, a, a command or a, a request response scenario. It kind of varies depending on the specific intent that you're dealing with. But the intent in Android development is a wrapper and a specifically named form of messaging between different applications in the system, right. in the phone. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, now I was actually able to. Um, I did a Pluralsight course on on actually using RabbitMQ to uh, to actually uh, do .NET to Java right. uh, interoperability, right. uh, which which kind of proves the point of the what you're saying about the independent. Um, and I found RabbitMQ to be pretty pretty pretty. Uh, robust and really fast mm -hmm. um, I know you a lot of what you've been doing lately has been RabbitMQ based yep what why what's the good thing about RabbitMQ like why is that of all the there's a lot of messaging options out there why are you kind of leaning towards RabbitMQ or are you yeah I, I definitely am it's it's right now it's my personal favorite personal choice for for message queuing systems um, and, but like you said, there are a lot of them out there. There's RabbitMQ, ActiveMQ, ZeroMQ, um, Azure Service Bus, Amazon, Amazon has a simple queuing service. I mean, there's the IBM, um, previously called WebScramQ, I don't remember what it's called now. Um, there's a lot of queuing systems out there, MSMQ. Um, I like RabbitMQ for a number of different reasons. Uh, it is cross-platform. It's written yeah. in Erlang, which is an interesting language in itself, a highly, highly, highly stable, extraordinarily robust and performant language, Erlang, built explicitly for performance to handle billions of, of things a second in financial industries. So it, it is. It, a, it's built on messaging, isn't it? Like the. Yeah, yeah. Erlang it is. Erlang itself is, is built around messaging um, internally in the language. And so, and so there's there's the cross-platform compatibility because you can install Erlang on just about any platform you can imagine, Windows, Linux, Mac, Unix systems, whatever, you, wherever you want to put it, pretty much. But there's also the cross-language compatibility, like you mentioned previously. It is very common to have a RabbitMQ system, uh, or a, a messaging-based architecture with RabbitMQ built out of more than one language. You might have Node.js right. for one part of it and .NET for another and Java for there and PHP over here and C++ over there. And all of these language, uh, all of these languages can communicate with each other by using JSON documents and RabbitMQ because there are drivers and libraries available for all these different languages and a phenomenal community of, of, of people around RabbitMQ that are going to, be there to help you to give you you know answer questions and support and all that kind of stuff, and also RabbitMQ is free. It's 100% open source. It, I think it's Mozilla public license, which is one of the most permissive license licenses out there. It, it's like here, do whatever you want. It's it's open. You can do anything, including modifying the thing yourself and 
and whatever you feel like doing. It's 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 a pretty amazing ecosystem that they have built around it at this point. Awesome. Okay, so someone. So I guess I'm trying to think of like the scenario. Like, so I'm out there working on on a project with my team, and um, uh, and maybe I'm using Node.js or maybe you know whatever language I'm using, and then. Um, now I'm, I'm realizing that we're doing a lot of things in the web application where the user is waiting, or yeah. or we're or, or our systems are kind of coupled together. Uh, uh, we we feel like we need to implement a messaging pattern. Uh, yeah, or, so, or, so, or some or, real robust. Yeah, so or, or an, an even oh. stronger signal is you, you might have a database table with a bunch of records in there that have uh. a flag that say processed and unprocessed, and you have <laughs> other processes yeah. that read from the same database and update the, the same table as the main process in order to, to know which ones have and have not been processed. I mean, that's that's kind of the poor man, sad man version of a yeah. queue where you end up I've with some really <laughs> awful situations by using a database as an integration layer, which is a really bad idea. Okay, okay. So I've, that'll probably connect with a lot of people because I've been yeah. there on several projects where we're like, yep. okay, well, it's robust because the data because it's acid because right know, <laughs> it's the database right the database at. is always there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so in one of those situations, then maybe I would want to look into a, a message broker, right? And then that uh, and then and then RabbitMQ, I guess you know definitely yeah. is is not so so uh, um so now you've put together a package on. RabbitMQ, right? So, right. Um, if someone maybe tell me a little bit about what what you've got for someone, because I I really think that people should be getting understanding messaging, mm -hmm. and and uh, and I think that sometimes the, you know, like I said, we talked about RabbitMQ, but one thing I liked about RabbitMQ is that it's very like ground level, like like you can get very bare bones, or you can build right. on top of it. Yeah. And um and and you know sometimes the default answer is. Still, for a lot of I think enterprise architects, is BizTalk, and BizTalk's like right, overkill right. most of the time. Yes, for messaging. Um, so, um, so, so maybe if you could talk about what you've put together to help people to to get into messaging and make this easier, because this is not an easy world to like wrap your head around. At least I didn't. I don't. No, you, you're right. It's not. There, there's a lot of new terminology, a lot of new technology. It can be difficult to understand how the code is really working throughout the whole system at, at times because you're creating a very decoupled architecture. So the, the package I built is called RabbitMQ for Developers, and you can find it at rabbitmq4devs.com. Uh, either the number four or the word four in the middle. Either way works there. Um, and what I've got is a series of 12 screencasts that will walk you through installation of RabbitMQ across Linux, Mac, and Windows, configuration of RabbitMQ so you can get it up and running and have it set up appropriately for your application to use it. And then it gets into a little bit of security to add permissions and then straight into code after that, sending messages back and forth. It'll show you the basics of sending a message just through the management interface built into RabbitMQ, and then go into Node.js for the majority of the, the rest of the screencast and show you how to write code that uses the various messaging patterns and does various things with an Express.js-based web application at times in order to, to get work done. In addition to those screencasts, though, there's two eBooks. There's the RabbitMQ Patterns eBook, mm -hmm. which is a collection of the most common and most useful messaging patterns 
most of which come from the Enterprise Integration Patterns book, but it's distilled and boiled down into how do I use this with RabbitMQ? What's the point of this pattern? Right. What's it really going to do for me? And how do I apply it to RabbitMQ? And another one of the reasons that I love RabbitMQ so much is every time I go back to the EIP book to look for a new pattern, I find invariably that RabbitMQ has either already implemented the pattern for me or has facilitated the pattern so that it is ridiculously easy. It's just, oh, this little setting here, and it's done. Nice. So yeah. it's really nice to have that. And, and that particular uh, book is written in a way that is not specific to any language. It discusses high-level concepts so that you can apply this pattern to any language that you're using RabbitMQ with. Then there's the, the other ebook, which is RabbitMQ Layout, and that dives into the why of RabbitMQ's configuration, the different exchange types, how routing works and works with queues in order to get messages to the right place at the right time. And it takes a very unique approach to exploring why of RabbitMQ in that instead of being purely a technical reference, it's a storytelling guidance system that I, I put together. So you, you actually get into the head of another developer looking through their eyes as they are building out software systems for whatever company they work for and going through the decisions that they need to go through and determining, okay, how am I going to set up RabbitMQ to handle this situation? Oh, well, we tried this and it didn't work. What about this? Oh, well, this is why it worked. That's great. We'll do it this way. And there's like six or eight different chapters that go through the story-based examples on, on building out RabbitMQ implementations and the why for each of these different situations. Awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then do, do, uh, do you said do you have interviews in there as well? Yeah. I mentioned an interview earlier with Jimmy Bogard, and there's six interviews total, including the one with Jimmy. Um, I have an interview with... Uh, essentially experts in messaging and architecture from right. all around the world, in, including a developer formerly at PayPal, um, somebody over in Sweden that looks at a very large firm over there, um, Udi Dahan, who is the creator of in-service bus, yeah. um, one of the RabbitMQ core team members and community nice. leaders, um, and then uh, production um, issues and, and how to do real production RabbitMQ with a person that runs a RabbitMQ as a service platform called Cloud AMQP. So there's a lot of phenomenal information packed into these six interviews, which are roughly 30 minutes each, a little longer than 30 minutes each for more than well over six hours of, of material. I'm sorry, not six hours, well over three hours of material across these six interviews. Awesome. Okay. So, and, and it, you know, I mean, I, I guess I would say that someone wouldn't really need to be like, I mean, obviously if you're building an application in JavaScript, this is going to like, or in Node, this is going to be uh, super yeah. easy for you to get started with RabbitMQ. Mm -hmm. But I would assume that, you know, e even if you're not using JavaScript, I mean, these, a lot of these patterns, everything is going to be pretty much this. I mean, it's, the language mm -hmm. doesn't really matter so much, right? Because right. RabbitMQ is it's cross platform. So if you're using Java or C sharp, yeah, uh, if, if you just can, if you can grok JavaScript, you're probably going to follow along and, and, and get get a lot of value out of this, right? Yeah, very much so. And all of the patterns that I show in the screencasts, and the screencasts are the only things that are language specific. 
but all of the patterns that I show are typically built into the libraries that you would use in any other language. Right. And Service Bus and Mass Transit in, in the .NET world have all of these patterns baked in. So you'll be able to just take these patterns and apply them straight through um, the, those two service buses by looking at the document.